It is a sad morning on the Out of Time podcast, and it shouldn't be, Pat, because the hurling has started. Okay, the rugby didn't go well over the weekend. Uh, it's the week of a golf major. The USPGA is on this week. I don't think I, most people have noticed that. But we start, sadly, with the news of Chris Hutton sacking. Yeah, it feels a little bit like kind of Bambi's mum, doesn't it? It does a bit, <laughs> Because who doesn't love Chris Hutton? Everybody loves Chris Hutton. I, I presume uh, if there are some Brighton fans, they may say, possibly. Yeah, the the chairman um, even was saying that he he found it a very hard decision to make. Uh, the chairman Tony Bloom. It's always tough when you have to leave a player out. He, well, yeah, but he but he says our run of three wins from twenty three league matches put our status at significant risk, and they actually haven't won any of their last nine games of the season mm. either. So Tony I, Bloom's a big uh, gambler. Big uh, racing man. He's taking uh, a gamble here too. Yeah, but he—that's he's a big. Uh, uh, I can't remember what his big horse at Cheltenham was. He won. He won a big race at Cheltenham there last year. Is that where he made his money? No, I think that's where he spends his money. Ah. Uh, although I presume he pretty much spends it on Brighton as well. Um, but uh, yeah, getting rid of Chris Hutton. Come on. Yeah. This can go two ways, yeah. really. Like, it kind of reminds me of, uh, remember Southampton a few years ago, yeah. sacking Nigel Atkins, yeah. and everybody kind of was up in arms, yeah. and they brought in some guy with, that nobody had ever heard of called Pochettino, yeah. and that turned out to be really rather excellent decision. Well, it turned out excellent for Pochettino. It did, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, Brighton don't have their plan B, they've just decided that plan A, they weren't sticking with that anymore. yeah. Well, true. They'll have no shortage of takers for it. You know, like a job in the Premier League is a huge job. Uh, so they'll get somebody from uh, some ver- fairly decent uh, Spanish or Italian club to come and do it. But uh, even if it is the right thing, and it may well be, like, you know, they they did not have a great season. They stayed in the Premier League, but that that is all they did. Mm. Um Chris Hutton always seems like a like a, a rock of decency in a world of shits. It's true. And uh, you don't like to see this. No. You definitely would have liked him to stick around, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, because it, like, especially like the Monday morning after the Premier like there's a real tradition of this in America. Uh, they call it Black Monday, the morning after the Super Bowl. when uh, Or not, the, no, after the regular season finishes before the playoffs start, where like up to six or seven coaches around the league get, get their marching papers. Um, I, I, I kind of struggle now off the top of my head to remember the last time this happened to a Premier League manager. Like, literally the day after the season was finished. Uh, obviously, it happened to Van Hal the day of the FA Cup final. But, like, uh, a team that stayed in the Premier League that avoided relegation. No, sorry, son. Tell your story walking. Especially when that's ultimately the aim. Keep us there. But Chris Hutton seems to have paid the price like he at Newcastle and Norwich that he, there's definitely a perception, and he railed against this perception at mm. Newcastle, that he can get teams to a certain level, yeah. but not beyond it. And clearly that's what Brighton well, decided to. Well, I think the, the perception is that he can organise a defence, but we need more than that. And and it is true, they don't, Brighton didn't score an awful lot. Shane Duffy scored quite a bit for them. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, I, I guess on balance, you can't really blame your man. But, you know, if it goes wrong, if they go down next year, Chris. 
That's it though. Brighton have gone from being thoroughly likable yes. and now they're dead to me. <laughs> I, I think, Pat, they were dead to you after the second City goal went in yesterday. <laughs> Fair point. Ruining your hopes <laughs> of, a, of a, another fairy tale. Uh, uh, what you were doing yesterday was you were down in Parky Creeve watching uh, Tipperary and Cork and we will be talking to Sean Moran about the day's hurling uh, later on. But we will start with the final of the Champions Cup on Saturday. Leinster lost by 20 points to 10 in Newcastle. Gavin Kumiski was there. Um, where did it all go wrong? Was it 2010, was it? Yeah. At 13-10, I just put my head down and started typing. It right. actually felt <laughs> like it didn't feel like three points. You could just... It was done. Their engine was cranking up <clears throat> and you could really... I was like, oh, okay, Leinster can't live. Leinster needed to score their points in the third quarter. Um, and Saracens took coaching and the, everything Leinster do well out of it all. Um, they had the chance to score in the third quarter. Yeah. Um, Gary Ringrose is coming in for a fair bit of um, stick on this one. He had the, the, the Four picture. against two. The five against. Five, I didn't see the fifth the one. The picture doesn't lie when, yeah. you, when you freeze it. He um, <clears throat> he looked up and uh, he, dis- he the one thing about Gary Ringrose is he very rarely makes the, the wrong, wrong decision yeah. and what he actually did was what everyone wants him to see do is drop the shoulder and and, and spear into mm. into defences but it was the wrong decision because Larmer was just screaming for it they had it it was just hands try and Lencer were 17-10 in front and then everything actually and they could have been like 17-3 in front and it really the image of it all could have been so much different they didn't deserve to win this game might I just add as well sure. but even from the next play Larmer was still Screaming, going ball, ball, it was four on two. He was ball, ball, ball. And McGrath put James Ryan, Luke McGrath popped the ball to James Ryan to carry. And Leinster were like, staying calm, going, it's okay, we're going to go through our phases here, but it's different against these this team. You, you have to take your chances, and they didn't take them. And then it, eventually the ball went left, and Liam Williams put in this. Was, this is all in the space of 90 seconds, this 46, 47 minutes, this man and ball tackle on ring rows. And then he got up, disengaged, and li- didn't just win a turnover, stole the ball back. And you just went, and as Onfarrell kicked the touch up the halfway, you just went, oh. and what they did was Leinster early in the game had taken an assault from from Saracens, like from Skelton and all of them coming thumping in and had won a turnover. I'm going to say possibly Sean O'Brien, but I can't remember who it was, but they, they walked to halfway mm. and they were like, this is our game. Mm. This is our, and then we're talking 40 minutes later in the, in the key third quarter, you could see the Saracens pack walking up to that line out going this is our time now because it had all gone more or less ideally up until about the 35th minute like the like the two the two crucial penalties in the game to that point were Brad Barrett on the Saracens line and Atoje or Brad Barrett on the Leinster line and Atoje on the on the Saracens line Two like two two vital penalties that that would have and it was what we were talking about here last week. You were going Saracens discipline. This is a very even game, but Saracens discipline is going to kill them here. And yet, just those five minutes before half time, they got back. They got back from ten nil to ten all. Yeah, and just turned it around. Well, a lot's been made of um, Luke McGrath's box kick, and Sexton was asked about it afterwards. Luke McGrath. What happened was Leinster said, we do not want to go in a 10-3 against this team. We score, we always score points either side of halfway and it was the clock had ticked into injury time and Luke McGrath went up in the air and the plan was they're sticking the ball on Billy Vonapola just on his 22 and they were going to get the slap back or they're going to try and manufacture another three points and go in 
13-3 and that was that was it and and just just plant the seed of doubt in Saracens and what happened was just was wide Saracens are a better team than Leinster now it's why they deserve to be champions they won a penalty Vunapola took it the, the, the kick wasn't great and the chasers didn't get up and Vunapola Billy Vunapola who had this astonishing game I was watching him throughout uh, he took it and I think uh Rob Carney was off his feet and that was the penalty and it's, this is still on the Saracens, Saracens 22, 22 yeah. and you're like okay oh, grand and I was watching Owen Farrell who went into um, like pure zone pure quarterback mode I was looking at him and he was just he was shaping the ball in his hand to catch a perfect spiral and he put it onto the Leinster 22 he stuck this he said he was like going totally for broke. He had just spoken. One of the Tarsons players told us afterwards they were great in the mix zone. Actually, the really revealing stuff. He um, they were under the posts after Toje had been yellow carded, and he was like, "We need freedom now. We need to everything that we are has to come out now." And we're fourteen. We're, we're ten points down, and we're, four, we're down a man against this team. After sorry, yeah. So there was still seven minutes to go, and Tyke Furlong had scored his try. And the response he got was just, they all kept saying it. We, Toje going off gave us this freedom. So anyway, they marched down field and again, it was Farrell's <clears throat> little pass. They still, the try when it came, there was some great defence by Leinster on their line. Luke McGrath made a fantastic tackle. And there was a little pass, the pass from Farrell to put Maitland in was mm. only a couple of players in the world can do yeah, it under that hands, much pressure yeah. to get that ball across. And then I kept watching him and he came back and he was just... He was like a statue. He just came back and he was like, I'm going to, he got the, the way he kicked the conversion, the ball just held its line and everything like that. And you could see him, he's like a, he's not even Brad Barr's the captain, but just, he's just a pure leadership of men. He just went, it was just resounding. Three things, his big kick, his pass and his conversion. And he was like, that's what we're about, 10 all. And it was a huge momentum swing. The thing is, I've heard people kind of slightly criticise Luke McGrath and why didn't he just kick it out 40 minutes around the clock, it's 10-3, going at half time. I guess from the Leinster point of view, if you're if you're of the mindset where oh we'll get in at the break ten mm. three up, you're not going to beat Leinster or Saracens with that mindset, are you? Yeah, look, Sexton said it afterwards. In hindsight, it was the wrong decision. Decisions are always judged on hindsight, and he seemed to imply that it was his call as the captain in the out half that he wanted the team to attack. He always does, you know what I mean. So while yeah, Luke McGrath should have put the ball dead. He could have made the decision himself and put the ball there, going ten three. Let's get out of here. And he would have probably had Sexton shouting at him going down the tunnel, you know. But uh, so he made the decision. To, it wasn't a good box kick. It wasn't a good decision. It he, they all have to live with it. But I I feel like um, if uh, nobody gets hung out to dry because they got beaten fairly, I think no matter what they would have done. I even think like if the ring rows tried to gone in, it, ju- it from what Saracens did in afterwards, I just like Leinster for example, right? Tyke Furlong had a game that is just. But in the first 40 minutes, he wasn't a tight head. He was a centre. He was everything. You know mm. what I mean? He, he was brilliant in the scrum. He was making cover tackles. He was, himself and Keane Healy were all off the charts, their performances. But watch Tyke Furlong in the 16th minute. And he know, he probably knew in his head, he was like, I got another 10 minutes to go. Because they're not bringing on Michael Bent. Porter wasn't, he actually did the warm up, which was strange, but he wasn't on the bench. They desperately needed an international tight head to come on for him. And like he, there was there was nothing in the tank because they were getting ragdolled by Will Skelton and Detoje and Cruz. Like the stuff that Cruz did to Sexton, he got him twice in the game. Once at that really key moment where um, Jack Conan got put back by Lowatsky, they're thirteen, and then the ball went out to Sexton and Cruz nearly just eviscerated him. 
and like late in the game in their 79 to 88 minute this is why they're champions um, like Farrell put a hit in on Henshaw that just stopped Leinster in their tracks and then at the very end with Sexton like he seemed like he was on one arm definitely looked like he damaged his arm Cruz put a tackle in on him that he definitely he can still feel right now if the painkillers haven't worn off the figure on the dominant tackles in the game was off the charts Saracens just drove them back constantly during the game didn't they it was slightly depressing to watch yeah it was power they made 207 tackles but this is what they want to do they're happy to do it Leo Cullen was put to him afterwards um, he goes they are extremely big men this is a 6 foot 7 second row uh, saying uh, yeah they're extremely big men to stand beside like Skelton and Itoje and Cruz and all these boys big big men you know but the um the thing is, that we, the narrative we kind of tried to develop, as myself and um, Dave Kelly from the Indo after, we were trying to ask Owen Farrell and James Ryan to talk about it in the sense that the uh, same thing happened with Ireland-England. And they always go, this is different. And, but they kept saying this was a test match. We were like, OK, lots of the same players. Uh, that February game was very like a test match in the Aviva Stadium between Ireland and England. You keep saying this is like a test match. Uh, lots of the same English forwards just beat up lots of the same. Uh, even more so, I thought, what Saracens did to Leinster physically, you know. And without like insulting them, you're like, oh, what can you actually do? Like James Ryan, I, I, I said it to him, I said, you've, he, he played a game that was just, he was fantastic. He was he really close to being one of the best players in the pitch. I think it was Billy Vonopola personally. But uh, he's played a game, he's played a World Cup final under six, uh, 2016 um, against England. And everything he did was similar to his performance there and there's nothing he could do. He's played, so it's three times in his life he's come against English opposition and he can do whatever he likes, but their power is just, there's nothing. And Leo Cullen says that we just don't make these players. Like, we are probably going to be having this conversation after a World Cup quarterfinal as well. You know, that's what it feels like now. That's what it felt like in February. Um, I hope everyone has cheered well, everyone up. Then, why then, though, uh, and not to, uh, not to rag on you, but why weren't we having this conversation last week? Like, like when we were talking about Saracens last week, the way you were talking, I think your line was, I mean, I can definitely Saracen, see Saracens winning this game. But like that's that's faint enough praise for a team that turned out to be so much better. Yeah. Um, I came out of the podcast last week and some, and I'd said, like, I think Stuart Lancaster's Leinster will definitely sort mm. out. And then someone asked me, like, about two hours later, I went, yeah, Saracens are going to win. And then like, I eased back. I went back to Leinster a little bit later. It was very, I couldn't. Yeah. I really thought that coaching would make right. the difference. I thought Lancaster's knowledge. But... What I meant by that was that Ringrose pass needed to go. Leinster mm. needed to have a 7, 8, 10-point lead going into the third, fourth quarter. And it was funny enough, um, on Friday, um, Mark McCall was asked, your team has never had to chase down teams, you know? And uh, what happens if you have to kind of pull in a 10-point lead? What happens if Leinster do to you what they do to everyone else? And he pulled, a, he kind of pulled, a, I think it was a one-word answer. He goes, well, we'll wait and see. And he was real like that all, all the way after. And his first, the first question when he sat down on Saturday night was, so what do you think about your team chasing down 10-point leads? And he kind of apologised because he was just, the tension was like right there on Friday at the, after the captain's run. And he apologised and he goes, look, I, yeah, I'm sorry. And he was really open and honest. And we tried to corner him into going, stop saying you're just a pawn or a cog in this <laughs> wheel. Like you're the director of rugby of this team. You've, he left with Ulster bottom of the Celtic League when he resigned from that job in 2007 and um, hearing um, I'm not answering your question by the way here but no, just fine. hearing what people say about um, him about his players about how he runs his business he just and uh, he does a Monday there's a famous Monday morning meeting with Saracens and what they do is um, 
like they had just before the Munster game, they all, a lot of people, they, he admitted to it, they, a lot of people had different opinions on what Billy Bonapola had done and said and all that, and they had to trash it out. And the way Richard Wigglesworth described it was, uh, what Mark does is he leads that meeting with one sentence at the start and then he delegates. And he does all his, what he does is he does all his quiet stuff with one-on-ones. He'd go to Mara Toje or he'd go to Brad Park and goes, what do you think about this? And he'd make that person lead. Like, uh, little shades of Jim Gavin there has yeah, to be said. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's always nothing about me, nothing about me. Mm. But uh, it, in, in, there's plenty in, uh, in 18 months, Gav, are we going to be saying, why is Mark McCall uh, not doing Andy Farrell's job? Um, I don't think he wants to. He, they've get, Saracens have kept saying to him, "Going, you are this guy who does so much stuff for us." It is almost uh, the, the middle management rules the world kind of right, a theory. Yeah. You know, he's a quiet <laughs> thing. Does he like? Will he get that? Is does that position exist over here? You know what I mean? Um, certainly doesn't exist in Munster. Um, like it's 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 the quiet. It's the, almost the kind of Leo Cullen has a similar kind of. He's he's molded that kind of similar role for himself, where it's not about results. It's not about what's happening. At the, who you sign it's not about what happens on the pitch it's about piecing everything together you know and everyone else gets blamed for everything else you, you're, you're, you're the glue in the whole thing so I don't know where that role exists for, for him Andy Farrell is they've, they've gone with coach coach you know a tough coach if his son is any example Gavin um, you are talking about um, you thought Leinster coaching might get us out of it or get Leinster out of the game on Saturday but um, I've never stepped on a rugby pitch, but obviously, you know, I'm an expert from watching on television. But I, I, I want you to explain something. More herders on rugby pitches in Ireland would be a successful <laughs> sport rugby nation. I, I want you to explain something tactically to me. that I, over the, Since even the Six Nations through, we've seen teams box kicking. And box kicking, to me, doesn't gain you territory and seems to rely on the other team making a mistake. Which, when you're up against Saracens, who are the best team in Europe, the chances of them making that mistake are slim. And it seems to me that Leinster spent the whole game box kicking to no effect and never attempted to kick for territory. What is the thinking behind doing something that we saw, we say, we saw Ireland do it a lot in the Six Nations and not get it's much joy? It's the blueprint for how to make Ireland successful, to be honest. And it just turns and out Conor Murray's absolutely brilliant it. at it. Everyone in the world has copied Joe Schmidt's blueprint on this. There's a couple of reasons why you can't kick for territory is because the wingers and the fullbacks are back. So there's nowhere to kick. Right. You've nowhere to go. You're just giving them a quick line out or haven't. So you don't make any territory that way. What are they supposed to do? Carry into those lads? George Cruz and these lads are all lined up and there's no... Like Sean O'Brien carried, I think it was, in the teens and he made one metre. Is that right? Is that right, Yeah, he didn't make an impact on the game and Leinster really felt for it. Um, Put it this way, he didn't make the impact that Dan Levy made on Saracens the year before. You have to box kick. It's your only way of finding territory. It's your only way of moving forward. What's changed in it, and Rob Carney spoke about it last week, is if you go up at your basket hands, uh, you won't catch the ball anymore. So it's all about the ball goes up in the air and it's been slapped back. So... It's, I know it sounds like pinball machine, but mm. what you do is you put that box kick up. You, you do get territory from the box kick. And if there's a good bit of height on it, your runners can get up. And if they're not being escorted or blocked, which actually was policed in the game. So it was the offside line for a while in this final and then just mm. went out the window. Uh, you get the slap back or you you disrupt their possession and you put heat on them. It's be- rugby's become a lot of kind of, always has in the professional area, putting heat on putting heat on the opposition, you know, putting your defensive. Like, Saracens didn't want the ball, you know what I mean? They were like, yep, yeah, we'll just we'll do this in the middle of the park and we'll just wait for you and wait for you and wait for you. You can have it anywhere you want, you know. The last 20 minutes of the game were, like, um, ideal. Uh, they were a Saracens' dream, wasn't it? Like, Leinster had the ball and just couldn't get out. Jerry, was, Jerry was sitting beside me. Jerry who's gone to Munster to find out what the hell's going on down there today, so I'd be interested in reading him later on. The um, Jerry was sitting beside me and he was still, he was talking about the... 
like you know, you're just you're, you're doing a running commentary throughout the game. He's like, they still need to do this, still need to do that, and I was like, ah, come on, like <laughs> I just really felt like it, it just felt like it was cooked, and yeah. I think he could feel it in the stadium. Great place actually, St James's Park in Newcastle. It was it was brilliant to be in a football stadium uh, at a big rugby final there because it's just you're you're closer to the pitch, you feel it a bit more. But um, he was uh, yeah, there was they did what they did, they, and they did it so impressively. Let's finish off. There is a game, of course, this weekend uh, that is, Jerry has gone down to uh, start getting working on. Uh, Munster are playing Leinster in uh, the Pro 14 semi-final. Does does this have any effect on that? Yeah, yeah. This fi- it feels more important. I'd say to I wonder. I wonder if just that a Leinster players can they can they get over there, ha- that crushing defeat because this does certainly feel more important to Leinster now because if you lose to Munster and come out of a season. With having lost the two trophies that you had the year before, that's a, that's a backward step, top to bottom. You know what I mean? Leo Cullen must be fired. Stuart Lancaster must be fired. He must be removed. Uh, no, but but seriously, um, I just you go through the Leinster team. Who can they get back on the pitch? Um, Sexton had a look like a bad arm treatment at the end. Um, the, these guys look really, um, they look really bashed and battered. Uh, so I. I I'd be very interested to see who they can get back onto the pitch. Um, the, what the, the, the joy is they won't have to face something like uh, Billy Bonapola. Mm. Like I was, if you I, the try should be. Uh, I wrote about the try um, for the, for Monday and uh, like Reece Ruddock actually hit him a perfect tackle and Johnny Sexton hit him a perfect tackle and then Luke McGrath and James Lowe both lined him up and hit him a perfect tackle and he just ploughed through them all. It was it's big, big, big lad. What you're not going to see from Munster is that because they haven't had game breaking ball carriers. Mm. Um, for all Peter O'Mahony's excellence this season, that's not what he does. I haven't seen enough of it from Ty Byrne, CJ Standers. People give him a hard time. He only carries 25 times in a game. and But it, it's the step he doesn't take that you see from Jack Conan. Look, I've, I don't think anyone in... I think everyone in who supports rugby will uh, be able to find motivation to watch what's happening in the RDS. Mm. It'll be... It'll be serious, hardcore Leinster Munster stuff that'll, that, to a, to a large extent, sorts out the bottom line of the season, you know? Yeah, yeah. Big time. Uh, Gavin, thank you very much. Uh, I know you're only dying for to get out and do some GA in the coming months. So uh, gotta get my I match can, report. I can uh, see it on you. Sharpened. Yeah, you can see it on you. Uh, thank you so much. We'll chat to you as we go along. No worries. You're listening to the Irish Times. And so to the hurling, which started uh, over the weekend, uh, wins for Galway, Kilkenny, Tipperary, and Clare. Uh, all of which uh, I'm sure we would have predicted beforehand. Oh yeah. Um, you were in uh, Cork, Packy yeah. Queen. Um, Your first time. My first time in the, in the new stadium. Yeah, yeah it was a, a beautiful scene. In fairness, it is a. It is a, a grand spot stadium. for a match it's on a, a sunny day. <laughs> grand spot for a match on a sunny day, and like the the stadium was gorgeous, and they actually had the the pitch in decent order. And then it turns out that uh, Tipperary. There's might be life in the old dogs yet. <laughs> Indeed, Sean Moran is on the line. Sean, you were there too. Um, I uh, w- was at the other game. I was at the Waterford Clare game, and uh, on my way back up, I was sort of listening to this on the radio. And uh, in my head, I was going, "Man, I've done these games before. I do not envy the lads having to keep track of all the scores here." Yeah, it was. It was one of those those, those matches. I think there was a, a, a score slightly quicker than every ninety seconds. Um, you know, so it was it, it, tricky keeping up with. You know, the, the, that uh, that old line is a bit like uh, 
the, the, the role of play is a bit like uh, taking notes on a on, on a on a on a taxi meter as it's, yeah. as it's clicking up, <laughs> and it was a bit like that. And scores from everywhere. As Pat was saying, conditions were were excellent. Um, you know, the, the controversy over the pitch. It's never really a controversy for the summer. The problem is all year round getting get, getting it right. So it was it was grand yesterday. Lovely weather. I enter a slight caveat that when you're up in the press box, as with press boxes, it seems mm. to me, you're in the shades and you're slightly more elevated, and it was not warm. So nobody cares, Sean. Nobody cares. I know that. Yeah, I, I I I remember making that point before that. that, that Complaining about press facilities <laughs> is a bit like someone in a sweet factory putting kind of a note into a bag saying it was very cold in here today. You know? <laughs> no one's really interested, but uh, I knew you'd be interested. Yes, well, thank, you. Yeah, thank you for, for for solving my my wondering. Um, this uh, these two tend to play games like this uh, at least once every couple of years. I remember when Cork beat Tip was it was it two years ago still Tip still scored something like 126 or 127 like uh, the the games between them tend to be open and this is how it worked yeah and uh, you know this the second year of the new system last year they played out a, a kind of a strange uh, epic um, that I think you were at where you know Cork dominated the first half to mm. the second half um, and this was very high scoring in an odd sort of way because Cork although they, they hit the front were a couple of times in the, in the first half um, seemed to be always uh, coming from from behind. Uh, they, they, they needed probably to uh, just settle them themselves when they pulled back the early lead. Uh, and people were saying afterwards that you know it was important for Tip to actually regain the lead before halftime, even though you know it's only a point here mm. there in a very high scoring match. But I think it sort of uh, it, it settled them as well. James Callan got the, the point that sent them in ahead, and in the the second half, the wheels began to come off a bit for Cork. I, I felt as whereas they they'd done very well. They you know they'd done very well to 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 to, to absorb the the punishment and and, and counter strike in, in in the first half. It was getting uh, beyond them in the second, and even when James Harnett got the, the late goal, which seemed to put it back in play again at four, four points, it was Tip again who finished more strongly. So uh, it was uh, it was very impressive from 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 Tipperary shifting it to, to, to that aspect of things. And beforehand, funnily enough, talking to uh, Tony Constantine, the former player manager and, and selector, um, he said he'd been down at, at pitch side and he was taken aback at the, at the the body shape of some of the Tip players. He thought that you know Park Mar. In, in his view, looks as if he lost too much weight. You know, mm. he didn't. Uh, he didn't look like the uh, the colossus he, he normally does. But I think you could see as the as, as the match uh, went on that um, Liam Shady and the team just had them in phenomenal shape, and they they, they really were impressive. I mean, Nicky English was saying in in his piece today that very familiar with this group of players, you know, from the, the, the senior of 10 years ago, mm. winning the under-21 for many of them uh, nine, nine years ago. But he, he believes that that was as impressive a performance as this group have given uh, over that time, which is well, uh, you know, very, very impressive. Well, that's an interesting side of it, because Pat, we were, like, we were texting back and forth on, on Friday night when the team was announced, and we were going, God, this is a very... There's no, there's nothing fresh here. There's a very predictable team. Like this is, you, you would have picked this team to, to, to go into a game three years ago. You could have exactly picked this team in 2016. And the surprising part about that is, it's not like there's not something coming through. Yeah. You, you have an All Ireland Under 21 winning team to look at and and draw off. Mm. I guess what they decided was that they'd make a virtue of this because you could argue that starting, say, Marco or or um, 
or Jake Morris or something like that in the forward line. And if they go into playing Cork in Cork, it's a tough start for young fellas. At the very least, if you have experienced guys like Bubbles playing, maybe that puts you on the front foot, as it turns that, out. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how it turned out. But I mean, I, you, you, you talk to more Tipperary people than I would. I, I don't think that was what the feeling would have been before the game. No, the general feeling was that this seemed like a slightly regressive step. Yeah. Or at the very least... It looked like. Yeah, like yeah. we've seen how quickly hurling is going forward. Yeah. So it seems a worry to have a team that is also not going forward and developing. Mm. If you're literally putting out the same team you could have put out three years ago, that seems like a worry. The flip side is that if that team includes somebody who can hurl like Bubbles Dwyer <laughs> and has clearly lost weight and mm. is in, in good-looking shape, then that's going to put any team on the back foot to play against them. Because mm. as ball players, they're, well, I won't say they're unmatched in the country, but they're absolutely right up there with the very best, you know. Well, I'm glad you finally agree with me. I always say this to you about Tipperary and you always wave me off. I never disagree with you, you that they're, they're good hurlers. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the other parts we have issues with. Um, Sean, Tipper, or to to look at Cork for a minute. God, they like. Okay, this was this was the first time they lost a match in Munster since 2016. So like they they had gone eight games unbeaten through two championships, but uh, even through all that, they were still conceding fairly high scores. Two twenty eight is just like it's it's untenable, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's an enormous score. I mean, we saw, I suppose, back in the 2014 All-Ireland Final, the drawn match, like the, the, the huge aggregate score that Tip and Kilkenny put up. And, and Tip on song are, are apt to do that. But it's a, like it's a huge, it's plus, plus 30, you know, for Cork for, 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 to, to concede. Interestingly, it's actually uh, Tip's first win in the Munster Championship since they won the final in 2016. Yeah. Um, you know, so they, they didn't win... They were, they were went the qualifiers in twenty seventeen, and obviously last year famously didn't win a match. But yeah, for Cork, uh, I think going into this, th- there were always question marks about the Cork defence, and I think as well as that, there was a, f- a feeling which looks a little, I won't say lazy, but maybe presumptuous beforehand that because they hadn't really impressed during the league, ah, they, they were just playing cues and they'd, they'd, they'd come they'd come good in the championship. And they got a very heavy beating for Tip in the last match of the of, of the league mm. as, uh, as well. They were unhinged a little bit at the start. I mean, Bill Cooper, who is sort of the, 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 the anchor centre fielder for them, uh, hurt his back in the warm but had to go off. Uh, so they were improvising a bit then and moved Luke Mee to, to, to the middle and brought in Robbie Flynn to the, to, to the wing. So they had to make uh, adjustments. But I, I was kind of taken aback at how uh, scattered their defence looked at times. And, you know, in fairness, to, like Owen Cadigan had a good old tussle with, with, with Callan and at certain points uh, of, of the, particularly the first half. But, you know, Callan still runs out with 1-4. One, one uh, and uh, I, I, for both of the goals, the sight of players as dangerous as James Callan and, and John O'Dwyer just completely... Uh, isolated inside the, the Cork defence, you know, um, was a real sign that the, that the doors were flapping in the wind uh, a bit. And that's not the way to be when you're playing a team that's as, as sharp and on its game as Tipper yesterday. Cork have to go to Limerick now, Pat. We're like, their summer could be over in a hurry here. That's the thing. I mean, losing a game against the head in the Munster Championship could be death. Yeah. And it happened twice yesterday. Yeah. Much to many people's surprise. But, like for Cork to have to go to Limerick, realistically, 
Limerick are absolute favourites to win that game coming in fresh as well mm. and Cork do have to do a lot of they, they have to figure out a way of making that defence uh, work because the amount of space that they afforded Tipperary yesterday was shocking and on the flip side you could see some of Liam Sheedy's organisation coming in because last year Anthony Nash completely burned Tipperary mm. with puckouts. Uh, Tipper constantly getting caught doing shuttle runs from one side of the pitch running after somebody like Conor Lehan who they're not going to catch whereas yesterday they stuck resolutely zonal and anytime somebody switched a wing one wing back was waving at the other wing back saying he's now your man and obviously there's a grey area in there where you mm. can get caught occasionally where he moves in between being your man and my man and, and he can be found but that was like Tip had a plan mm. to shut down the puckouts and that was to stay absolutely zonal whereas I don't really know what Cork's plan was if it was to run around after guys like Seamus Callanan as, as Sean says it's not a good idea you know mm. I was uh, down at uh, Walsh Park uh, watching uh, Clare play Waterford Before you even get to the game tell us about Walsh Park Well like Walsh Park was lovely uh, to, to the point where I was asking one of the sort of locals beforehand so what has been the problem down the years? Why, like, this is this is like it. It was a lovely sunny day in the sunny southeast. Uh, but the pitch look, the pitch was lovely. The ground is grand. I mean, you you know, it wouldn't be winning any design awards, but I mean, you can put eleven, twelve thousand people in there, handy enough. Uh, and what it was was over the years, the pitch has always been terrible, really, really terrible. And now the pitch is lovely now. Um, uh, and also, I think there's the. I think they sort of accepted their fate a little bit over the years with it and, and just said, ah, no, she, you couldn't be playing Championship Hurling in Walsh Park. Turns out you could. Uh, the interesting thing, though, yesterday was that uh, I was sort of half expecting after all the hullabaloo uh, and and all the sort of, yeah, look, we've got our game, we've got our game. God, it was fairly tepid applause now when the Waterford team walked out. Oh, really? Yeah, came out of the tunnel. They came out about, sort of, what, about 20 minutes before the game and like it wasn't welcome to hell. Like it wasn't, you know, this is our this is our house. You know, there wasn't a whole pile of that at all, at all. Uh, and um, Claire were not made to feel uncomfortable. I've got you. Got to say that. Like they were, they came out. They had one one on the board after three minutes, and they were they were fine. Like for most of the day, up they were five points up going into the seventieth minute, and. Um, Waterford came with a, a fine burst after that. But uh, yeah, Walsh Park's a grand place to go. Not a problem, one, problem one with thing, it at all. Sorry, Malcolm, one thing I'd say about it is that I said a league match there last year. I think in, in more recent years, there have been kind of good reasons for it, it's, it's non use. But I'm walking up um, on, on the Keen Road mm. at the back of the, 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 the terrace. Um, there were these enormous metal brackets, kind of. Almost screwed into the to the back of the wall, mm. like the terrace to hold it up. Yeah. So I think that oh, I think there were structural issues there that needed to to, to be taken care yeah, of. Yeah, and, it, and, and, and the other thing is, Sean, if you were starting from scratch, you wouldn't be putting a, a, an intercounty venue where it is. Like it, you know, it it's, is. It's amazing, is, really, when you think when you think of it. it uh, back in the, in nineteen fifties. Seven, the Waterford footballers beat Kerry, uh, one of those yeah. you know famous events. But it was it was said that uh, there was inevitably a small crowd to start with there because it's kind of bang. It's like a you know an English soccer ground in the middle of an entirely residential area. I'd say it's 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 a glorified village green, like 
Yeah, yeah. People, people began yeah. to wander in, apparently, in the second half. From the houses around, did they? From the houses. They heard what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> to wander in. But, uh, it is. It's an unusual location. You know, it's, it, it, it doesn't have a whole heap of, uh, of space or opportunity to expand mm. much beyond what it is. It's funny though, Malky, there's a school of thought out there like that last year, Clare actually did a lot to help Limerick win the All-Ireland by the amount of road they took out of Galway over those kind of two mm. epic semi-finals. But it, even though we, we know what level they were operating at last year, it kind of felt like they came into this game a little bit under the radar, Fair like bit, we'd yeah. forgotten how good they are. Exactly, like Clare were a puck of a ball from an All-Ireland final. And, you know, they'd have absolutely fancied every bit of it against Limerick. Mm. There's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. Like, they are a, they're a really solid team. They have a really good goalkeeper. They have some really tight defenders. Like, Pat O'Connor was excellent yesterday. Really excellent. You could see, he's their captain. You could see there's a real leader of Ben instinct in him. They were missing Connor Cleary, but they were fine. Uh, they were okay. And when you look at their forward line... What's really interesting about their forwards is that they have, it's, it's really multifaceted. Like, so John Conlon is John Conlon. Edge of the square, magnificent in the air, brilliant, a, a really underrated shooter, actually. Uh, and uh, so needs, needs minding. Like, first and foremost, Conlon has to be shut down. Shane O'Donnell is still, like, he is an extraordinary hurler. Like, this was his first hurling match since he came back from Harvard. Like, he hasn't hurled for nine months. Uh, his touch is, like, I'd, I would be, it must be up there in the, in the top five in the country for making the ball stick. And he's not a big dude. Like, the ball always sticks to him. He, is, he has a really quick silver pickup. He always manages to get the ball into his hand somehow. It's astounding to come back from America and bring that with totally, him. Totally, totally. And, and he was brilliant, kind of knitting everything, everything together, scored a point, which is not like him, uh, fed uh, Tony Kelly for a couple more and, and, and set up the goal for Conlon. Um, and look, Kelly is just... Beautiful, like he's such a beautiful hurler. It, it, it's it, it. I think Waterford messed up a little bit. Like Conor Gleeson was nominally on him, but sort of left him go a bit and played his own game a little bit. Kind of defied Tony Kelly to kind of follow him a wee bit, like ar- around the centre of the pitch. Um, and that's fine, you know. Like like there's there's something to be said for that. Like there, it's a kind of a macho kind of listen, lads. We'll play our game, you know. But man, Tony Kelly is Tony Kelly. And he sort of wandered around between the 45s, kind of getting into the game and getting out of the game. And you wouldn't see him until he had the ball in his hand. And by the time he had the ball in his hand, he had it pucked and it was over the bar. He scored five points from play. Just from kind of generally finding space here and there. And not massive space. This was the thing. Like, Conlon found a huge amount of space for the goal. However, he managed that. And I need to see it back properly to see how he managed to... Find, duck away from behind the rock and find himself in so much space in front of the goal. All Kelly ever really needed was two or three yards of space. Like, I don't know if he ever took the ball onto a stick in the whole game. He basically took possession and bang. I think he had eight shots and he scored five of them. And they were all from more or less the same spot around midfield. Um, his last point, Kevin Moran just had a brain fart and, and, and put a clearance straight to him on the on the 45, like... Um, but uh, that's their that's their attack. There's so many different parts to it, and and like of course, then you have Peter Duggan. Peter Duggan scored like two frees from his own sixty-five 
Uh, he had eight frees, he scored them all. He didn't miss all day. His only wides were from sideline cuts uh, and he scored a, a big point from play. So, like, when you're setting out to stop them, where, you know, you have you have four big jobs to do there. Yeah, other counties have the same player in the forwards, like Cork and Tipper who are occasionally criticised for having the same type of forward. Indeed. They yeah. have unbelievable variety, which yeah. they ask all these extra questions. It, it, it does make them really um, intriguing, yeah. Just, just to make make the point about... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. I'm not I'm not saying it as uh, uh, someone bashfully uh, admitting that I felt Waterford might win this. Um, <laughs> but I think there were reasons for for that slight uncertainty about uh, Clare. Mm. They were missing like two of their their halfback line. Okay, Shannon won't be com- coming back, um, and so you know they, they, they will be, but they will be stronger there. Um, Tony Kelly, particularly at, like Watchbark. Uh, is is a small ground mm. by by intercounty hurling standards, and if you've got long range shooters, um, you know they can they can kind of make hay in it because it's uh, you know the the, the 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 dimensions aren't aren't quite the same, and for like Tony Kelly can shoot from anywhere anyway in any in any ground. But I think the experience of, T- of Tony Kelly is that when he is when when he's when he's on his game, um, he, he looks. You know the best hurler in the in the country. There are times when he just he, he does things that uh, they're just so quick and, and and calculated. You can't imagine other people doing them. But teams have found that if you if, if you if you dedicate a man marker uh, to him, you can stifle you can stifle his game. Mm. Um, and um, it's surprising there what you know what Maliki was saying about how water were a little bit less fair in that regard. If you give him space and let him pop up where he wants, you'll, you'll pay a heavy price. For it, and I, I think with Peter talking as well, that um, I, I think the experience last year was that t- at times in, in in some of the big matches, his his free taking uh, went a little bit on the on the blink um, in in over, over the past two years. But in general, like he he puts up huge totals, mm-hmm. and when you know he's when he's on his. When, when he's on form, um, he, he is hu- hugely accurate. But there are those little caveats about about Clare as well as their ability to finish uh, close matches. Now I know yesterday went into injury time; it wasn't really a close match. But um, yeah, but like they, 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 that was the big problem. Yes, like if they had come away from that having given Watford a draw, like it would have yeah. been it would have been unforgivable. Like there were five points up going into injury time. Uh, all Waterford's only real hope they had a couple of close in frees that you know the, there were seven men on the line one got deflected over the bar one deflected wide um, but then all of a sudden like they Waterford stopped me or Clare stopped making the ball stick in their forward line uh, Waterford kept lamping long balls down Morris Shanahan caught one put it over the bar Austin Gleeson caught one put it over the bar and all of a sudden you were going uh, right lads there's two minutes left here and Waterford are only a point down like they could feasibly win this, never mind get a draw. Mm. Um, so Claire, but Claire got out out the door. Now they, they had a bit of a wind, and it was this kind of thing that was probably a blessing. You know, they go away and go. Listen, lads, we're not we're not as great as we. Yeah, think it's great to get an away win. As yeah, well. I, mean, I know there were two of them yesterday, but I mean, it's Claire were so strong in Ennis in mm. their matches last year that you know the idea that they've they've won away. Um, you know, you you you're thinking they they almost have to get to. Uh, to, to, to the final again I know it's well, we'll a see. long way to go we'll see they have, they have three weeks to uh, be, before they play again now. so uh, mm. like um, you wouldn't know what could happen listen uh, thank you Sean thank you so much and we will talk to you as the summer goes no along uh, thank you to Gavin who was in earlier talking rugby uh, thank you to you Pat thanks Mark thank you Declan behind the glass and we will talk to everybody uh, next week cheers <laughs>